be back from running around in the waves and jumping around at the beach. And we had a great time, and I appreciate the opportunity to go do that. I know you were in good hands last week with Dr. Jim Donovan. Um, he's been a great friend of our church for many years. Um, today, I wanted to share with you just a few thoughts um, along the lines of God's faithfulness. Um, and just a little bit of house business. Next week, I've got an out-of-town wedding, so I'll be gone again next weekend. Uh, Kenny will be filling in for us, and we're excited to have him preach for us next week. Um, and then the following Sunday after that, um, hope, God, Lord willing, we'll get back to Romans. So we're going to start back in Romans chapter 9 um, here as we get to August. Um, our text for today comes from Genesis chapter 50, again talking about the faithfulness of God. And it takes us back 3,500 years to the time of the Israelites um, when Joseph was uh, bringing the Israelites into Egypt. And then the story unfolds um, as they're about ready to leave Egypt. So we'll capture both of those things, both when they arrive in Egypt and when, we're, when they're leaving today. So Genesis chapter 50, if you would stand to your feet for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter 50, verse, beginning at verse 24, just reading three verses, verses 24, 25, and 26. Here we go. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died, being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. You may be seated. Thank you so much. So our text, um, I want to work from, so we'll work back to that, but our text for right now is, comes from Exodus chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, you can flip over to Exodus chapter 12. And let me give you a little bit of background what's going on in Exodus chapter 12. Again, this is where the Egyptians, or where the Israelites leave, uh, are preparing to leave Egypt. Um, and so a little bit of background there. Moses and Aaron go in to see Pharaoh, and they ask Pharaoh, hey, look, we need to let God's people go, the Israelites. And Pharaoh says, get out of here. I'm not, I don't know your God. I'm not interested in letting your people go, so forget about it. And so in response, God sends nine horrific plagues uh, onto the people of Egypt. The first of those um, is blood in the water. The Nile River turns into blood. Um, he flooded the land with frogs, gnats, flies, cattle disease. He sent boils on all of the people. He covered the whole land in darkness. He sent a plague of locusts. And then the tenth and final plague, uh, because Pharaoh was still as resolute in his refusal to let the people go, God sends a tenth and final plague where all the firstborn sons of Egypt would be struck dead. And so that's what happens next. Uh, let's pick up what happens next. Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. It says, And at the, after the tenth plague, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said to them, Up, go out, get out of here from among my people, both you and the people of Israel. Verse 33, The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. For they said, If you don't get out of here, all the rest of us are now going to die. So they realized that the Israelites in their presence was not a good thing. Let's get them out of here. So verse 34, The Israelites took their dough before it was leavened, that is, it was made without yeast. Verse 35, And the people of Israel also had also done as Moses had told them, for they asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. So the Egyptians not only tell the Israelites to go, but they send them out of the land with a whole bunch of uh, their pockets stuffed full of treasures. Skip to Exodus chapter 13, verse 19. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him 
For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, God will surely visit you and you shall carry my bones up with you out of Egypt. So after the 10th plague, Pharaoh rushes the Israelites out of Egypt, that so much so that they didn't even have time to put yeast in their dough for their dough to be able to proof up. Um, and so here they are asked, being rushed out of the country, carrying all this matzah with them, carrying all these treasures of Egypt with them. But in addition to that, it says that they also carry the bones of a man who has been dead for 400 years. That's Exodus chapter 13. The story that we read in Genesis chapter 50 takes us back to when that man died. It was a man by the name of Joseph. And you say, well, what is going on here? Why is it that Joseph's bones stay in Egypt for 400 years until the time when they go out? Let me explain. 430 years before Moses and the plagues and all that sort of stuff, um, when before Moses was going to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, a guy by the name of Joseph brought the Israelites into Egypt. The book of Genesis tells us that Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers. He ended up in Potiphar's house where he would be falsely accused of a crime, and then he was thrown into jail. While he was in jail, uh, it was discovered that he could interpret dreams. The Pharaoh had a dream, and so Joseph is brought forward to the Pharaoh. He interprets the Pharaoh's dream, and the dream is that uh, the Pharaoh's, it can anticipate seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. And the Pharaoh realized, well, I need somebody to kind of oversee uh, this building up of treasures, or this building up of, of stored goods uh, for the seven years of plenty so we can prepare for the seven years of famine. So he says, hey, Joseph, how about you be in charge? And so he makes Joseph the prime minister of the entire Egyptian empire. And then uh, next thing that happens is the seven years of plenty are followed by the seven years of famine. During that seven years of famine, all the surrounding peoples around Egypt, well, they didn't know this famine was coming. And so they find themselves in really hard times. And so many of them came to Egypt because they heard that Egypt had plenty of storehouses. And so among those that came were J Joseph's family, his father, his um, 11 brothers. And so they come to Egypt, um, and Joseph forgives his brothers for selling him into slavery, and his whole family is spared from the famine, and they come to live in Egypt with Joseph. Now, when Joseph's father Jacob dies, okay, follow me here, when Joseph's father Jacob dies, he takes a whole caravan of folks, including officials from the Egyptian empire. Remember, Joseph is the top, the senior uh, prime minister, right? And so he takes a whole uh, bunch of his, uh, his brothers, uh, the family, he takes a bunch of Egyptian uh, nobles, and he takes them to the land of promise, to the land of Canaan, and he buries his father Jacob alongside his grandfather Isaac and his great-grandfather Abraham at the family burial plot in Hebron. However, when it comes time for Joseph to die, he does something very peculiar. And here's what happened. We read it a few moments ago, Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. He says, I'm about to die. Verse 25, then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. Joseph is telling them this while he's in Egypt. He's still the prime minister up until the point of his death. And so Joseph's telling them, hey, look, I'm, a sh I'm certain, I feel very confident that God is going to deliver my bones from this area, from this, this place of Egypt, to the promised land where my father, uh, grandfather and great-grandfather are buried as well. Verse 26, so Joseph died being 110 years old. They embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin, key phrase here, last two words of the book of Genesis, in Egypt. Again, Joseph had great confidence that God was going to take his bones from Egypt and that they would be buried in the promised land. So Joseph is feeling very certain that the Israelites will be returning to Egypt. The question for us this morning is, where do you get this confidence from? 
Uh, where did he get this kind of utter certainty that God was indeed going to send his bones back to the promised land? Well, he got it by believing the promises that God had made. Back in Genesis chapter 15, God makes Abraham a promise. So the beginning of the nation of Israel, Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. And he says, Genesis 15 and verse 13, know for certain, God speaking to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring, Abraham, will be sojourners in a land. That is, they're going to go to a land, but they're not going to stay there forever. And that is not, that is not theirs. That is going to be Egypt. And, he will, and they will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But, and that's exactly what happened, but, verse 14, I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. Again, they had their pockets stuffed full. That's exactly what happened. On another occasion, God appeared to Jacob, Joseph's dad. When Jacob was hesitant to accept Joseph's offer and moved to Egypt because of the famine, God appeared to Jacob, again Joseph's father, and said to him, Genesis 46 and verse 3, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Why? For there I will make you into a great nation, verse 4, and I myself will go down with you to Egypt, J Jacob. I'm going to go with you. And he said, and I will also, God's promise, bring you up again, that is, bring you back to the promised land uh, that we have, that you know about. And because of these promises of God, Joseph, when he died, had absolute certainty that he is, his bones would end up back in the land of promise, back in the land of Canaan. He was sure of this because God had promised it. And friends, we know from Scripture that God always keeps his promises. And so Joseph left his bones in Egypt as a testimony to the Israelites of his own day and to a as a testimony to the Israelites that would come after him, the 400 years after Joseph, that God was going to be faithful to his word, that God was going to free the Israelites out of Egypt, that God was going to keep his word to Abraham, that he was going to keep the promise that he had made to Jacob, and that God was going to return them to the promised land just like he said he would do. You say, Gordon, 400 years though has gone by. I mean, our nation's not even 400 years old, right? And so 400 years, I mean, do they even know what the bones of Joseph represent? Do they even know where the bones of Joseph are? Well, absolutely they do. And I can show you that they do. And that the reason that we know that is because when the Israelites had to leave the nation of Egypt with not even being able to put proof up their dough, right? They had to leave super quick. The next morning, y'all are out of here the one thing that they knew where to find was the bones of Joseph. They might have forgotten a whole lot of other things, but they did not forget to bring the bones of Joseph. That had become a national monument of sorts that people um, knew about. And so let me summarize. For four centuries, Joseph's bones had been a source of hope for the people of Israel because every time they looked at his bones and every time they considered his bones in that coffin, it reminded them the fact that they served a faithful God that they could trust no matter how difficult the circumstances. Joseph put his faith in the faithfulness of God and his bones were there in Egypt as a symbol of that. All right, well, that's our treatment of this text for today. And so that means it's time to ask the question that I know you didn't get to hear last week. So here we are this week. It's our most important question. What difference does all this make to my life? You say, Gordon, I mean, 3,500 years ago, great, appreciate the history lesson, but what does this have to do with me? Uh, well, let's see if we can answer that. You know, I think you know this. The Israelites did not go directly into the promised land. 
In fact, they wandered around for 40 years out in the desert before they got into the promised land. And all of those years, they carried around the bones of Joseph with them. I mean, that was a bit of a burden. They had probably had a group of people that would cycle through, and they'd have to carry that wherever they were traveling. And every time things got dicey out there in the desert, every time things looked bleak, and the promised land looked a million miles away, they were still toting around that coffin with the bones of Joseph. And those bones reassured the Israelites that God does not leave people halfway. They reassured the Israelites that God finishes what he starts and that when God makes a promise, he keeps it all the way. The point is, what did God give these Israelites to sustain them as they suffered slavery in Egypt? What did God give the Israelites as they wandered around the wilderness for 40 years as a way to remind them of his faithfulness? Friends, God gave them himself. That's what God gave them. And that's what he gave them to hold on to. And friends, when we in the 21st century are facing tough and confusing circumstances in our life, when we feel like we are wandering out in the wilderness, when we feel like we are suffering under some Pharaoh who will not turn us loose, friend, I want to let you know that God offers us the exact same thing that he offered the Israelites to us, and that is himself, his eternal, unfailing promises, his faithfulness. I want to close out today by making sure that we all understand what faithfulness is. Faithfulness, to be faithful, means to be true to one's word at all costs. To be faithful means that you promise something to somebody and that nothing is going to stop you from upholding that promise. And the Bible has declared to us over and over again that we can count on God, that this is how God is, that he is faithful. The Bible is saying that everything God has promised us, we can count on it, that he will do it. And where does this attribute come from, friends? It doesn't come from something God did, but rather it comes from who God is. That God is faithful because of his character, not because of something that he did. Because if it was something that God did, then maybe he could do something different. But because of faithfulness being who God is, we can count on the fact that he'll be faithful to us in the future. Listen, sometimes people are unfaithful to us. They can be unfaithful because they have no moral fabric. They just lie. Well, one of the great things about God is that God is holy, and that is that God will not lie, that God will never um, tell us something that he won't carry out. And so we can take his promises to the bank. Some people, secondly, are unfaithful to us because they make decisions quickly, a knee-jerk decision, and they wish that they could take that decision back. They wish they could say, you know what, I, I, I know that's what I said, but I, I really don't want to follow through on that. I'm not, I'm not sure that that was the right thing for me to say. And so they withdraw. But friends, the Bible says that in God's character, he is immutable, which means that God is not subject to change. He never changes course or withdraws promises. And finally, sometimes people renege on a promise because even though they are sincere in what it is that they're promising, even though they really want to follow through on what it is that they promised, they don't have the ability or they don't have the resources to be able to follow through on that promise. Well, friends, we serve a God who is omnipotent. That is, he is all-powerful, or we call him almighty. And so he has the resources of heaven at his disposal. God's going to be able to follow through on anything he promises because he has all the power that he needs, all the potential power in the world to follow through on anything that he says that he'll do. And so because in God's character he's holy, he can't lie. And because in his character God is immutable, he does not change. And because in God's character he is omnipotent, he's, not, he's unlimited in his power. Therefore, God in his character must be faithful because God can never be any other way. And we as human beings 
may blow hot and cold, and we may be faithless at times, but God's faithfulness is from everlasting to everlasting. I love what Paul writes in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 13. He says these words, if we are faithless, God remains faithful. Why? Because God cannot deny who he is. Being faithful is a part of God's character. It's not, again, something that he did, and then he can change his mind later. Being faithful is part of who God is. It's just something we can count on because it's, it flows naturally from him. And friends, the more deeply we understand who God is, the more certain we can be that God must and always will be faithful to what he said. He cannot deny the very character of what he is, and faithfulness is part of the character of what he is. Now, I don't know about you, but I need a God like this. I do. I need a God like this. And I'm glad that we've got a God like this. A God who is faith, whose faithfulness does not depend on my performance. Because I'll tell you, as hard as I try every day, my intention when I go out of the house is to be 100% obedient and to live 100% holy before the Lord. But friends, when I get out there in life and at the end of the day, I got to have that little conversation with God where I say, Lord, um, I'm really sorry about that. Really sorry about, about what happened. And, and, and Lord, you know, you saw what happened. And, and as, hard, as much as my intentions are good, I can't be 100% obedient in everything that the Lord is asking me to do 100% of the time. Some days will be better days. Some days will be worse days. But again, God's faithfulness is not dependent on my performance. It's dependent on his character. It's who he is. Because he is faithful, his faithfulness does not go up and down based on my performance. His faithfulness is settled forever in heaven because, again, it's part of his character. And that is really great news. You know, some of us are going through some tough times. Maybe we're struggling with some issues with our family. Maybe we're struggling with some issues at work. Maybe we're struggling with some issues with our boss or with our, um, our health, with our marriage. Maybe we're struggling with some issues with our friends or neighbor. Maybe you even felt like God is all that you've got left to hold on to. Well, I'm here to tell you today that that is okay because God will be faithful to you just like he was to the Israelites. It is, again, part of who he is, not based on your performance. God will be faithful to you just like he was to the tens of thousands of Christ followers down through the ages. Friends, do not be afraid to, follow your, to throw yourself 100% on God. Let him be the total source of your comfort and your strength and your hope because he can handle it. He invites us to do this. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 7. Cast all your anxieties or your cares on him because he cares for you. And he is omnipotent, he is immutable or unchanging, and he is holy. You can count on him. I love what Charles Stanley said, and I'll close with this quote. Jesus is all we need, but we never know that Jesus is all we need until Jesus is all we've got. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to hear from your word this morning, to be reminded of who you are, that Lord, your faithfulness to us, your execution on your promises is not contingent on our performance, Lord, but rather it's contingent on your character. And so Lord, we just thank you so much for that today. We celebrate that. We worship you for your faithfulness. Um, Lord, as we gather around this table, we're reminded of your broken body and of your shed blood. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you for the means for the forgiveness of our sins that was born through Jesus on the cross. Lord, if there be a sin issue in our heart, 
that we have yet to resolve with you. May we in these quiet moments say, Lord, we confess that before you. We know you saw it. We know you know about it. And may we just experience the faithfulness of you, O God, to forgive, to restore, to heal. Lord, take these quiet moments, Holy Spirit, and speak to us. Work within us, we pray. In Christ's holy name, amen.